All right, turn, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to depart from my typical preaching method this morning, commit the unpardonable sin. I'm going to preach a topical message so I can say anything I want to, <laughs> right? I heard a lot of laughter and groan. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So the title of the message is, Be as your Father. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open thy precious word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today, especially as fathers, that we'd be encouraged and challenged. And Father, I pray that the Spirit of God work in each and every heart for your honor and for your glory and for our edification. And we'd be careful to praise you and thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Somebody says, quote, a good father makes all the difference in a child's life. He's a pillar of strength, support, and discipline. His work is endless and oftentimes thankless. But in the end, it shows in the sound, well-adjusted children he raises, unquote. Webster's describes father as a man who exercises paternal care over other persons protector or provider, to assume as one's own, to take responsibility up. Now in the scriptures, the word father is found over 1,100 times. And one says, yet, quote, yet in America it's becoming increasingly harder to find a father in the home. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children in America, one out of three children now live in a home which a biological father is absent. Increasing father involvement in their children's lives is one of the most important ways to address material and spiritual poverty in this country. One way we can do that is to reiterate the importance of fathers and the difference their presence makes. Almost every study conducted in the social sciences confirms what the Bible teaches. Fathers matter. Unquote. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'm going to take the word father, use it as an acrostic, and every letter of the word father standing for a uh, term. So first of all, the letter F, fathers you know, ought to be, and of course as we think about our heavenly father, we're looking at that too a little bit, but as we think about fathers, fathers uh, are to be faithful. They're to be faithful. 
The word faithful means strict. Oh, we don't like that word too well. Strict or thorough in the performance of duty, true to one's word, promises, vows, steady in allegiance or affection, loyal, constant, be described as words like reliable, trusted, and believed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.9 that God is faithful by whom you are called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. No matter what we do or anyone else does, God will always be faithful. See, His actions aren't determined by ours. His actions aren't determined by ours. And so as we as fathers, fathers need to be faithful like our Heavenly Father. Uh, we need to be faithful to our word. <coughs> Excuse me, in First or Titus 1, 2, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God that promised, which, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. You know, God, again, uh, because of His uh, per, uh, holiness, He cannot lie. In fact, God hates lying. Proverbs 10.18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Proverbs 12.19, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. You know, if you start telling lies, you're going to tell another lie, another lie, another lie to cover up those lies. Proverbs 13.5 says, A righteous man hateth lying. But a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Of course, lying will bring you shame. But I thought this verse is interesting. Proverbs 26, 28 says this. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Lying is an affliction. It brings affliction. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. You know, we ought not lie to anyone. It will bring shame. It will bring reproach. It will bring heartache. It will bring affliction. And it will crush confidence in you. Crush any confidence in you. Yeah, there are times we, we, we do say things that we intend to do, and sometimes because of circumstances we can't. You know, and, and, and I understand that. But we need to be men, fathers of our word. And along with that, we need to be faithful not only in our word, but we need to be faithful to our convictions. Now, this is a, this is I believe is a real problem in our society. You know, Psalm fifteen four says, "In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth." Of course, the Bible tells us, and we sang about it, the Lord does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi 3, 6, I believe it is. And Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, God does not change. And we, you and I need to be faithful to our convictions. We ought not to be changing. We ought to be willing to swear to our own hurt and change not. Let me, let me give you an illustration of what I believe is swearing to your own hurt. 
a pastor tell us that one of the men that preached at the Bible conference, years ago when he was a teenager, his parents, particularly his dad, came to him and said, Pastor, we want you to discipline our son. He said, how many parents come to you wanting their child disciplined? He's rebellious. Of course, he was in the church's youth group. All his friends were there at the church. So he said, we did. We felt he, he was right. He should be disciplined, and we disciplined him. And said he quit coming to church for a while. About a year and a half, he started coming. First came just sporadically, and then he started coming regular, coming back regularly. And finally, he got right with the Lord. This boy got right with the Lord. And when the Lord called him to preach, he's now pastoring the church. And he said, a finer pastor I know not. He's a young, he's a young man. You see, his parents were faithful to their convictions. They were not going to change their convictions to suit their child. You know, in Samuel, one of the things that the Lord addressed against Eli, remember, in 1 Samuel 2, 29 and 30, he says, Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded to my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. See, Eli honored his sons above the Lord. And the Lord said, because you've done this, your family will be removed from the priesthood forever. Now, it took a little while to bring that to pass. But when Solomon became king, he thrust Abathur out of the priesthood that the word of the Lord to Samuel might be fulfilled. You see, Abathur was the grandson son of Eli. And see, Eli honored his sons. Your faithfulness to the word of God will help your children more than bending the rules to accommodate their desires. But today what we see is fathers, instead of teaching and enforcing biblical standards, they give in and patronize the desires of their children to fit in with the world. Or make excuses. You know, know, if we are faithful to what the word of God says, it will give them stability and assurance in an ever-changing world. Everybody else is changing. You know, your children ought to say, well, I know what dad's going to say. I know what dad's going to say. See, we need to be faithful to our convictions. Faithfulness. A father needs to be faithful. 
Secondly, letter A, I like this one, armor. Armor. Uh, armor is a thing that serves as protection. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the Bible says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Quit ye like men. It doesn't say quit ye like people. It says quit ye like men. The word quit ye like men means show yourself a man. Be brave. Of course, there's something instinctive in men to protect. They're protectionists, you might say. Of course, the Bible bears this out. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially they for his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worth, worse than an infidel. The word provide means to take thought for or to care for. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5 says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, Matthew 12, 29 says, Or else how can one enter a strong man's house? Not a strong woman's, a strong man's house, and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. And you remember in the book of Ruth, Ruth was instructed by Naomi to go up to the, to the grain floor and, 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 and to lay down beside Boaz. And then when he woke up, she was to ask him to spread thy skirt over me. For thou art a near kinsman. You know, that idea of spreading the skirt, you know, part of that is, I want to be brought under your protection. Under your protection. You know, unlike our world today, a woman back then, a single woman, without a father, without a husband, was very vulnerable basically without rights, almost. Very vulnerable. So she wanted to be brought under his protection. Or she wanted to be married, too, but that was part of it. But, you know, we as fathers are to put boundaries, are to protect by putting boundaries in the lives of those under our authority. Children are naive. Close years, you know. I know, just, you know, most of the kids here are older, but but little children are naive, and, and older ones, you know, they get in a certain age. Children are naive of the dangers that are in the world, and it's and it's our responsibility to protect them. You know, little children don't understand that a stove is hot, so we we put a boundary in their minds that electricity can hurt you. You, you go into some people's houses and they have these little 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 plug-in things sticking in the wall so kids can't stick screwdrivers. So you say they're little brats. Can't stick screwdrivers and things in electrical sockets. You know, uh, you know children don't understand that you have to stay away from a busy street. That cars can hurt you. And that there are evil people in the world.
So we are to protect them with their armor, if you will. And so we must protect them from physical harm. It's our responsibility to protect them. But it's also our responsibility to protect them from the dangers of the loss of this world and its lies. And that brings us to number three, and that's our T, a teacher. A teacher. A teacher, of course, is a person who teaches or instructs or means to impart knowledge of or skill in. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19 of Abraham, it says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which, thing which I have spoken of him. You know, Isaiah 38, 19 says, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And, and by the way, I believe when he says the aged women are teaching young women, the aged men are teaching young men. Uh, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So we are to teach or to give truth to impart knowledge and skill onto our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1 now these are the commandments the statutes the judgments which the Lord God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive yards which thou plantest not. 
when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, God's warning us here that we are to instruct our children where all the good things come from. Drop down to verse 22. Verse 20, I'm sorry. Verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, say, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all this household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments for the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. You see, we are rehearsed to our children how the Lord saved us out of Egypt. You see, I was never in Egypt. Yes, you were. You were in the world. Egypt is a type of the world. How the Lord saved us. How he changed our lives. And the blessing of God that you see is evidence of our obedience and faith in him. And it's all of his good hand. Lest thee be full and forget. Many are full and have forgotten the goodness of the Lord. Solomon said that, talked about the law that his father taught him, Proverbs chapter 4. You know, we need to be teaching our children where we came from, what we're doing here, and where we're going. You know, about the love of God, yes, but also the holiness and justice of God, without which no man will see the Lord, the Bible says. You know, we live in a world that no longer understands that there is a God. And yes, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Death and disease came by man's sin. And God is holy and God judges sins. There's consequences. You know, we need to be rooted. We, we saw last week in Ephesians about being rooted and grounded in the Lord. Established in the faith. Understanding how we got here. That's God's created the heavens and the earth. And no, it's not millions and billions of years old. That we do actually have evidence of a young earth. All you have to do is go to the Mount St. Helens and you'll figure that out. A little Grand Canyon formed in three hours. Not millions of years. Yes, the science, the Bible is scientifically accurate. You know, we need to impart these truths to our children so they can defend what they believe. Teach, teacher. We need to be teaching our children. Fourthly, the letter H, helper. Helper, a person or a thing that helps or gives assistance or support. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, the, the idea there is he's always there to help. Always. He's always present. <coughs> Psalm 54, 4, 
Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord was with them that uphold my soul. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you had. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Psalm 103, verse 13. Because a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know, the word pitieth there has the idea of tender, tender care, of compassion. The Lord has tender, is tender and compassionate toward us. He cares about us and he helps us. And we as fathers need to be tender and compassionate to our wives and our children, helping in tough times without, can I say this, without upbraiding. Sometimes that's not easy. The word upbraiding really has the idea of belittling or reproaching. It's kind of the idea of casting in one's teeth. It's almost like saying, oh, I told you so. The Bible says in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. One writer said this, talking about three ways to destroy, unknowingly destroy your children's self-esteem. Now, we say self-esteem is not good, but everybody has one. You know, uh, <clears throat> And she said three ways. Number one, saying it's easy. When your children are struggling with a task, it may seem easy to you. However, it's not necessarily easy to them. When you say, that is easy, you can do it. You're trying to motivate and encourage them, yet it causes your children to think, something must be wrong with me because it's not easy to me, therefore I must be dumb. This causes your children to feel discouraged and want to give up. It decreases their self-esteem. Instead, tell them, this can be tough, or it can be a little difficult, but you can do it. Then if your children complete the task, they tell themselves, I did something hard. If they cannot figure it out, at least they know it was tough to begin with. This reproach, approach helps them stay encouraged. Uh, secondly, doing too much for them. Your children want to do tasks on their own. This gives them a great sense of accomplishment and helps them feel good about themselves. You may feel one way to show your love is doing things for your children. This robs them of the opportunity to learn life skills and satisfaction feeling independent. It sends your children the hidden message, you are not capable. Instead of doing too much for your children, break the task into smaller, more kid-friendly tasks. This gives your children the chance to feel the personal satisfaction of completing it on their own. And then thirdly, freaking out when they make mistakes. Do your kids ever make mistakes? Or disobey you? Nah. Andrew says I, it never happened to me. <laughs> mistakes are part of life. We all make them. You may feel you need to rescue your children from making mistakes or help them avoid making mistakes, and this does not help them. He says it cripples them. Your children make mistakes, and the way you respond either helps your children learn and grow from the mistakes or teaches them mistakes are bad, which they are. Mistakes are painful, but they can cause great growth if handled in a healthy way. 
Bill Rice III always said, be matter of fact. They're going to do it. Be matter of fact about it. Yes, there are consequences, but don't go all to pieces. Give them an opportunity. When you do, you rob them of an opportunity to admit they're wrong and fix the problem. Um, yeah, God doesn't upbraid us. No, he's tender and compassionate. I often think, my, he must be tender and compassionate to put up with me. Helper. Then number five, look into letter E, example. Example. A pattern or model of something to be imitated. Of course, and that's what our text is about. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So God wants us as fathers to be like, or all of us really, to be like our Heavenly Father. Now, if you read or study families in the Bible, you're going to discover some things. You know Isaac did many of the same things Abraham did? The good and the bad. Where did he learn it? His father. Jacob did many of the same things, and Jacob taught his boys to be shepherds. That was a good thing. But he also taught them to deceive. And they deceived him. You know, many times in the Bible you read statements like this. 1 Kings 15, 26. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. That was speaking of um, one of the kings of Israel. Uh, then of, uh, speaking of Ammon, the Bible says in 2 Kings 20, 21, 20 and 21. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way of that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. Now it says about, of Josiah, 2 Kings 22, 2, and he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. It wasn't actually his father, it was a grandfather a few generations. But he did like David his father and turned on a side to the right hand or to the left. You see, we need to be an example to our children. Paul, in writing to the church of Thessalonica, said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, Ye are witnesses of God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So we were an example to you how you ought to conduct yourself as a child of God, like a father would to his children. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You know, our children are looking for examples to follow. And we need to be an example to them. A role model to follow. Never forget, when I was working at Willard Yoder's, I was 21, I think, at the time. And we were fixing fence, pasture fence down along the creek. Creek. Yeah, it's a creek. 
Creek. That's how you say it in Pennsylvania lingo, Creek. Anyway, and uh, this little boy came out there. There was a, there was a house there, and their, their last name was Smoker, and I knew, I knew the Smoker boys from school. They were just a few years older than me. One of them had a little boy. A little boy came out there. He's probably three years old. And Willard asked him, and I can't remember what his name was, so what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be just like my dad. Just like my dad, you know. Kind of bristled up, you know. I thought, sad to say, I knew the Smoker Boys. See, we need to be an example. They're going to follow us. And then last but not least, the letter R, respected. The word respected. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 6. Of course, the word respected means to hold in esteem or honor, to show regard or consideration for. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. You know, fathers are to be respected. You know, think of this. We are called by the same name as God. Father. In Matthew chapter 5, when we call this the Sermon on the Mount, or some call it Beatitudes, some call it up or some might sum it up as calling it the golden rule of life. One, I heard one preacher say this, it's a discipleship course taught by the Lord himself to his disciples, instructing them concerning the doctrines of the kingdom of God. This is what the Christian life ought to look like. How we relate to God and how we relate to one another. This is what the kingdom of God, we who are in the kingdom of God, this is how to conduct ourselves in this world. You know, this is, this is considered by many the ideal life. It's respected. Of course, God commands that children honor their fathers. The sad thing is, the difficulty for some is, Sometimes fathers are not respectable. Now I might say there's no such thing on earth as a perfect father. Only our Heavenly Father is perfect. But as fathers, we need to strive. We need to strive to live a life that glorifies the Lord 
and that earns the respect of our wives and of our children. You know, it's a great responsibility. That's the other word I struggle with, whether to use respect or responsibility. It is a great responsibility. In fact, I don't think there's a greater responsibility on earth. Not even being a pastor. Ben Shapiro, many of you, some of you know him. He's a conservative, conservative talk show host. And he says this. Quote, this weekend marks Father's Day, or as I've taken calling it on social media, Second Legal Guardian of Unspecified Gender Day. <laughs> he says, because, and I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but he says, because some men in America are trash, too many Americans have decided that the problem is masculinity itself. The result has been a lessening of male perdition, hasn't been a lessening of male perdition, but the ex- exacerbation of it. That means the increase the severity of the bitterness of toward males. But anyway, he says, as it turns out, men do need fathers, and even more importantly, they need fathers who teach what it means to be a man to their children. Social science on the necessity of fatherhood is absolutely clear. According to massive recent Harvard study, the most powerful factor putting young men at risk of criminal behavior and poverty is lack of fathers in the neighborhood, not even fathers in the home. Fathers in the neighborhood more generally, a prevalence of a responsible man can even help compensate for lack of fathers in the home. It's not a coincidence that girls from single mother homes fare far more poorly than girls from two-parent homes. Girls from homes without a father tend to engage in more sexually risky behavior with higher rates of drug use and dropping out of high school. Fathers provide a sense of security to their children, but they also model behavior. For boys, fathers model and teach how to be a protector. For girls, fathers model and teach how men ought to protect them. He says, furthermore, men have been told that they are nice window dressing, but ultimately superfluous to the family unit. In other words, we're not needed. All family units are created equal. And to suggest the superiority of a generic father-mother unit is insensitive to families formed along alternative lines. This may be sensitive, but it's bad social science, and it's worse morality, morally. Uh, It leaves men without a mission, leaves men adrift. But men are still different from women, and they know it. Deprived of purpose, that is to protect, too many men turn to anti-substitutes for true manliness macho culture that prizes sexual conquest or physical strength, for example. Men become bros rather than husbands and fathers. Liberated from responsibility, men become users. After all, women and men are exactly the same, and to suggest that men protect women is a form of patriarchalism. So the cycle perpetuates. Without fathers, these men's sons all too often grow up and become their absent dads. Family, Father's Day is important because fathers are important. Fathers are important because men are important, and men are important because manliness is important. This means we need more fathers inculcating the specific and beautiful elements of manliness in their sons. We don't need to teach boys to be more feminine or be genderless. We need boys to grow up to be good men, and that can only happen when we don't disparage manliness and pretend, or pretend that masculinity and femininity are pure social constructs to be discarded for purposes 
of emotional sensitivity, unquote. Yeah. Fathers are important. Without fathers, our society will crumble. It is now. It's crumbling. So fathers, we have a high and holy calling. Might God help us to be faithful, to be the armor of our families, to teach, instruct our children, to help them, to be a helper to them, to be an example, and to be respected, that we might pass on sound, well-adjusted, children that will serve God in another generation.